We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. John 3, 16, it's not, it won't come up on your screen, but um, you'll probably know the words of John 3, 16 very well. And the first six words of that verse say, For God so loved the world. Six very powerful words. And we've been reminded over the last couple of weeks of how important those words are, that God so loved the world. He loves the world that he has created. And as we're just praying, he's in control of it. It is his world that he loves. He hasn't given up on it. He hasn't abandoned us. He is right here with us. He is seeking to redeem it. And he is looking for people to join him in that mission of redeeming this beautiful world that, create, that he created, that we mucked up, but that he's restoring. So we're not going to be like Jonah that uh, John T. talked about last week, who's this reluctant missionary that went, oh God, I know that's your mission, but do I have to be a part of it? And, oh, I suppose. You know, we actually want to get God's heart that he really does love his world. He really does love us. And as we experience his love, we need to share that love with the world around us, which is where Fraser started a couple of weeks ago. So it is the most important message the world ever needs to hear. Agree? Are you, are we, are you with me on that? It is the most important message that we need to hear. So that's why we've spent a couple of weeks really digging into that and stressing the importance of it. And now we're kind of turning a corner in the series and looking at, well, how, if that is the most important message in the world, how does that message of God's love and his commitment to our world, how do we get that message out there? How does it, how's he going to do that? Now, you would think that one strategy that God could have is choose some really gifted people or um, empower a few really gifted people and get them to do it. Some people that are really great at communication. And when you look at the world around us, you might think, well, that's probably what God has done. Like, after all, look at Billy Graham, you know, uh, I, I did some Google searching this week. Apparently, they, uh, the Billy Graham Foundation tracks um, people who have made decisions for Christ at Billy Graham rallies um, over the, the course of the 20th century. And they say that over 3 million people responded at a Billy Graham crusade. And you go, oh, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke, uh, an evangelist in Africa, um, similar success, millions of people coming to faith. And that may seem, you might, we might think, hey, that's great. We'll just pray for them and let them do their thing and that's all good and a whole lot of people will get saved. But did you know that 80, despite millions of people that come to faith in these big rallies, 85% of people who come to faith Come so become Christians because a family member or a friend has invited them to church or invited them to engage with God in some way or invited them to an Alpha course or something like that. 85%. The person that God is going to use to bring someone close to you 
to faith is most likely going to be you. You and me. Ordinary people. That's who God, God's going to use. It's always been a strategy, actually. This is, this is, we might think that there's another strategy, but this is it. This is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. God's plan A is us. Acts 1, verse 8, just before Jesus left, he said these words, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, into the ends of the earth. And the question, just keep that verse up on the screen. Um, the question you've got to ask yourself when you look at this verse is, well, who's the you, right? Now, he was talking to his disciples there, so you'd kind of think, well, it was just Peter, James, John, Matthew, you know, those guys. Um, okay, it, it's them. They're going to do this. But what this verse clearly says is those who will receive the Holy Spirit, okay? So are we cool with that? Are we all good with that? That the you here is those who receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, then we go to Acts 2 verse 4, and we read these words. All of them, so there's 120 people, the whole church gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, all of them, now that means everybody in the church, so it would be all of us here today, um, so all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's the whole church. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, is that, ba you know, is that really what they were thinking? Well, it was because Peter then addresses the crowds of people outside and they say, well, what's going on here? How do we know this Jesus that you're talking about? How do we experience the Holy Spirit that you're experiencing? And Peter says in Acts 2.38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, all of them, not just a select a few, will receive the Holy Spirit. So, it is logical to conclude then that if we have received the Holy Spirit, and we receive the Holy Spirit by putting our faith and trust in Christ, okay? So if you're here today and you haven't become a Christian, that's cool. You're off the hook on this one, okay? Um, but we need to have a conversation <laughs> about you coming to know Christ. But for everyone else here who has received Christ and come into a relationship with him, you have received the Holy Spirit. Now guess what? You've received the Holy Spirit for what purpose? To be his witnesses to the world around you. And most of you get this. We did a mission survey um, a couple of months ago where we asked you some questions. And here was your response to some of those questions. 95% of you said mission, or well, God's mission, is an important dimension of your faith. Now, that's really encouraging. That's really cool. So you get this. We get this. Okay? 90% of you say, we pray for the salvation of someone else we know to become Christians. That's awesome. And this is possible because it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You want to see people come to know Christ. 78% of you, so almost 80% of you, say you share your faith with those who don't know Christ. 
well, some of you share more regularly than others, but you do it. You, you get the point that, hey, this is, this is what God's called me to do. 45% of you, which is understandable, this statistic, said, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about sharing my faith. Well, join the club. We're all a little bit nervous, I think, about sharing our faith. Some of us are just a wee bit more uh, confident about it than others. But we saw this, we're assuming that you weren't lying, because, hey, you're Christians, you know, so you're not meant to be lying. So, um, so we're assuming that you're telling the truth when you filled out that survey. So thank you for doing that. And it encouraged us to see that, hey, this, this, uh, this congregation is catching the heart of God, that God wants to redeem his world. God wants to love his world, and he wants to do it through us. And we see that we need to do that. And as I talked with people, I, I can see that there are two reasons why people are a wee bit nervous about sharing their faith with others. One is we want to do it well. We realize that this is a really important message. So we want to do it well. We don't want to muck it up. When we get that opportunity, we want to know what to say uh, when, we, when we do get that opportunity. So we're a wee bit nervous about getting it right. And then the other thing is, we're a wee bit nervous about how to start the conversation because it can be a little bit of a confronting conversation and we don't want the message or us to be rejected. Now that, by the way, that doesn't make you less spiritual if you're a bit nervous about that. That just makes you human, okay? That's just, if you, if you had to raise any important topic with someone and you're a wee bit nervous about raising the topic with them, yeah, it's understandable that you're, you're a wee bit you know, tentative about that conversation. Still need to have the conversation, but it's understandable that you're nervous in it. Now, when we look at the early church, we see this group of people who are very similar to us. They're just ordinary people like us, okay? There's 120 people just like us who are trying to follow Christ and all that they're doing. And they're a bit nervous about, well, what does this look like? There's, there's so few of us and there's a very big world around us. And yet, this group of people become empowered by the Holy Spirit and become influencers in the world. They turn their world upside down. Let's read one of those accounts. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at around 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, him, uh, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Wow, you can understand. Yeah, of course he would. When all the people saw him walking, and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. 
For me, the line that stands out in this passage is, what I do have, I give to you. What God is asking you to do for the world around you is give away the life that he has given you. Just do that. He has filled you with grace. He has filled you with power. He has filled you with love. Take that love. Take that power. Take that grace. Take that truth that he's invested in your life and spread that out to the world around you. And in, in doing so, you'll redeem the world. You'll see extraordinary things like this happen. People's lives will be transformed. And so what happens next is quite interesting. Peter and John get um, hauled before uh, the authorities to give an account for what has happened. And they go, mate, what's going on here? And they give a, a long explanation, which you can read about it. But here's their response. This is the, the leaders who are questioning Peter and John. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, they couldn't do anything else. They could, couldn't say anything. And here's the thing, as you begin to share God's life with the world around you, you'll see extraordinary things happen. God's Plan A, his strategy for redeeming the world is simply this, to empower ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's his plan. That's what he's called us to do. And the early church quickly realized that they were useless without the power of the Holy Spirit. But as they trusted in Christ, as they leaned into him, as they prayed for that empowering, and God empowered them, he gave them that courage, God gave them that boldness, and gave them the wisdom and the keys to share their faith with others. And today, I want to give you an example of someone in our congregation who, who has done just that. So, Leslie Smith, wherever you are hiding, if you could come and share with us, that would be great. Cool. Come on, run up here give you this. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. So I was asked to share a, a story this morning about, uh, firstly I'll tell you that I'm a physiotherapy owner and business owner in the city and I was asked to share a story about how you, how do you share your faith or how do you encourage people who come and see you. So I'm going to backtrack a wee bit, but when I was studying um, physiotherapy in Cape Town back in 1988, it's a long time ago, um, I, was, I became, uh, joined a, well, a ministry birthed at that time. Um, and it was so exciting. I encountered the Holy Spirit and I just was so excited about the Lord. And we were praying for people and we were um, reaching out to the lost. There was a real passion to reach those who didn't know Jesus. And um, at one point during my studies, I thought, oh, I don't need physiotherapy. I'm just going to go and be on the mission field. No time for study. And a very wise, um, very wise person said, you know, um, the, ha the harvest is right in front of you. Your mission field is here, right amongst us, in your physiotherapy class, in your family. Just be sensible, finish your degree. And my mum, who wasn't a believer then, very wisely said, finish your degree. You never know what happens in life. You might need it. I was so glad I listened. It was pretty good. 
Anyway, um, our, back then we were so excited in our residence. I'm just going to give a little snippet of that. Um, a few of us got together, a few of us in our physio class, there were about three of us who knew the Lord. And every morning we got together to pray, and we prayed for our brothers and our sisters in our family and our parents. And we started with our family. And by the end of that year, all our brothers and sisters had given their lives to Jesus. And I'd gone home for the school holidays, for the university holidays, and my brother, um, he was three years younger than me, and he was really not in a good place. He was being bullied at, at boarding school. And he, he came to me and he said, Liz, I need Jesus. And I was like, oh my goodness. I wasn't ready for that, but he's now pastoring a church over in South Africa, which is fantastic. Anyway, and then our, our physio class, about three of us, as I said, knew the Lord. And by the end of our four years studying, tw 12 of us had come, to, well, there were 12 believers and probably more now, which is really exciting. So if you're at uni or at work, you know, your mission field, your harvest is right there, um, in there. But anyway, um, I employ 11 people. I'm number 11, so 10 people. And recently employed a, a young lady. And um, I had a feeling she wasn't going to be with me for a long time, but I wasn't too sure why. Anyway, she one day we were going to do some professional development and it's really key, as a, as a Christian business owner, my heart is to, to, to really represent Jesus and God really well in the place. So I treat my staff really well, I'm really honest, quick to admit when I've blown it, it's quite often, and, um, and just really be generous. And anyway, I was spending some time with her, and we were going to talk about some body part, I don't know what it was, and we were going to discuss how to be better at doing that. And I walked into the room and she said, Leslie how do you know God's real? And I went, oh, goodness. <laughs> I said, oh, that's a good one. Let's sit down. Um, right. Um, and I wasn't really ready for that. I probably should have been, but I wasn't. And I said, um, oh, why do you ask? That's a, that's a lovely question. Let's, let's talk about that. And then she proceeded to tell me how she had lost her dad at a very young age. And she said, why would God have let my dad die when I was so little? And, you know, those are hard questions. I said, I don't know. So I don't know the answers to those questions, but what I do know is that he loves you and that he wants to be your father. And when God takes a father out of a family, he can really move in. <laughs> Not that that's what he wants, but I just said he's really there for you and he loves you. And I shared with her how he says we are his children. And that's what we really are, is his children. And that he works out a relationship. And, he, and she said, oh, you're religious. Oh, before this, she asked me if I was religious. And I said, no, I'm not religious. I'm a Christian, though. And um, what's, what's the difference? And then I was able to share with her how religion's about rules and responsibilities and regulations. And if you blow it, then you've got to earn your way back to God. And I said, God's not like that. He's, he's, it's about relationship. It's about his grace. And we can really commune with him and, and ask him questions and listen for his answers. And... And it was just so precious just to see her grow. And um, anyway, reconnected her with the church, and she started going back and back to church. She had grown up in a religious cult, so she had, didn't know much about grace. So it was really beautiful to connect her with Jesus and his grace and with God's family. So that was one example, and she's, I've now encouraged her to go and follow her heart. And she's, it was just like a bird that came and landed. We're like, radio, that way, and off they've gone again. And that's just how God can use us in a situation like that. And then I'm, at the moment, um, I'm really struck by this person who's coming for treatment. I started seeing them about five years ago, really troubled individual. And when people are troubled, their pain can be really troubled as well. Just people feel pain more deeply when there's a lot of trauma and just started coming for, for treatment and we were talking 
about these things. And I said, you know, I can treat your body and I can talk to you and we can talk about emotions, but you know, there's only, there's a, there's a part of us, is our spirit really needs to be healed and renewed. <laughs> so you're religious. I said, no, I'm not religious, <laughs> but I'm a Christian believer. And I said, and I, my basis is the Bible. I said, but, and I'm not too sure what you believe. And we've just had the most wonderful discussions over five years. And then recently um, came back for another injury and he goes, oh, we just need to talk a little bit about a bit more. He said, you spoke to me about boundaries last time and I've read that book by Dr. Cloud. He said, I said, oh, fantastic. Let's, because I gave him a book to read. Then this last time he said to me, um, a little bit about the spirit of God. He says, we've all got God's spirit, haven't we? And I said, um, we've all got spirit a spirit in us, <laughs> but you know, you really need to invite God's spirit into you. Oh, how do you do that? I said, well, the Bible says, I said, oh, well, I'm going back to my reference, you know, that the Bible says we are the, we are the child of the father or we're a child of the, um, of the devil, basically. Said, oh, do you believe in the devil? He said, I said, yeah, well, I don't worship him, but I said, uh, and I don't give him much space, but yep, he's real. He goes, yeah, so do I. No one ever wants to talk about it. I said, oh my gosh, here we go. So anyway, I was trying to be really cool and and not give away that the hairs on my back were standing up, you know. <laughs> and so we spoke a little bit about light and darkness. And this was just last week. Um, and about how, um, yeah, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice who we want to follow. And we haven't really finished that conversation yet. But the next question, so it's full of questions, very highly intelligent young man. And he said to me, why do we always speak about God as father? He said, what about these people... Is God really a male? And I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. And then I said, well, um, so we, we discussed that. And I said, well, you know, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came to the earth, and he was male. So I guess that's why. But, you know, God's, God created us in his own image, and I was, I was like, oh my gosh, um, where do I go with this? And I was just saying, you know, and so we both, male and female, represent God. So, you know, don't get too hung up on it. God loves, loves us all, really. It doesn't matter what we are, who we are, how we profess to be. But it's, it's just so amazing. Here's this guy, and I'm sure he hasn't really got an injury, but he <laughs> keeps coming back. <laughs> and he's, he's probably come back next week with a whole lot of new questions. Anyway, on, the, on, the God, on God being male or female, I said, why don't you go and read The Shack? Have you read The Shack? Have you seen the movie? No. I said, well, God is represented by an African-American woman in this, in this book. Beautiful. I said, that'll blow the paradigm of most Christians. I said, go and read the book. And so I've sent him to read the book, and I'm waiting for the next injury because there's going to be more questions. <laughs> but what I wanted to say was, um, yeah, God brings people into there that he'd never bring into here, or not never bring into here, but who might not come into here. And same in your workplace. Wherever you are, God, might bring God will bring people across your path who might not want to come to church, but we are salt and light in that place. And... It doesn't have to be too stressful. Just let, let them ask the questions and see how we go. Cool. Thank you, Leslie. That was awesome. Well done. And it's, it's great for you to hear that, hey, Leslie's just part of our congregation because sometimes you hear stories from Jonty or me or others and you go, oh, it's okay for you religious professionals. But as Leslie says, it's just taking what you do in your ordinary day life and making the most of those opportunities. And God does that. God will start doing extraordinary things. And you'll have testimonies like that to share with people if you're open to God using you in extraordinary ways. So what does that look like? There's 
There's the early church. They got God's heart that he was empowering them for mission. So that's, that's the first step. And then they knew, okay, it's, God is leading us into the world to do extraordinary things. That's great. And many of you will be going, okay, I'd love to do that, but what's the first step? Well, the first step is they prayed. And I want to focus a little bit on this today because it is such an important step. Excuse me. Um, In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says this, After they prayed, so they were in this place of prayer, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. If you want to prepare yourself to do evangelism, if you want to prepare yourself to have those conversations that Leslie was just talking about, pray. Take that time and and spend that time in prayer. The early church received life from God and power from God as they prayed together. And then they were able to take what God had given them to the world around them. Actually, I would go so far to say this. Don't go until you've prepared yourself in prayer. Thank you so much. Isn't it great when your wife realises just what you need? (gasps) (laughs) That's better, right. You know, as I was just saying, don't go until you've prayed. And can I emphasise what I'm talking about here? I'm not talking about tokenism. Uh, when I was at Bible college, we, um, we did a whole topic, I think, on evangelism and mission and all that sort of thing. And I went, yes, 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 it's great. Like Leslie, when she was um, a physio student, I was like, yeah, let's get out and get the world saved and change the world. And we were made to, um, and I, I will say made, it, it wasn't really voluntary, it was mandatory, to go into the square and we had to share our faith in the square. And then we had to go down on Friday nights to um, Cashel Mall and share our faith there. And, and it was challenging. And I went, man, this is, this, is pretty, this is pretty hard going. And of course, before we went, we would, we would pray. But it was kind of tokenism prayer. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, it's when people go, oh, I want to do something for God. And they, and they kind of plan it and they go, right, this is what we're going to do. And they meet up and then they kind of go, oh, yeah, I suppose we should pray. They go, God, bless us as we do this. And then you go and do it. But did you really spend time preparing yourself in prayer? And I got to the point where I was, to be honest, I was pretty frustrated. Because we were doing all this work and we weren't seeing many results. And, uh, well, maybe there were results there, but I wasn't seeing it. And so in frustration, actually, I, um, one, one Friday, because I, I knew that we were going out that night, I, I set aside a whole hour in the morning and I said, God, I'm just going to seek you um, for what's going to happen tonight. I'm going to prepare myself, my, my heart, and I want you to prepare the people that I'm going to talk to tonight. And I just spent a whole hour in prayer. Well, that night, we went out, and I had like two or three amazing conversations with people, much like what Leslie was just talking about. And I went, 
that makes a difference. All of a sudden, I got this revelation that God is already at work in people's lives. And he's already at work in us. And we need to stop relying so much on our efforts and rely more on his spirit. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to do what he's called you to do. And I have then from that time made it a a practice in my life to spend that quality time in prayer every morning where I'm preparing my heart and I am preparing for whoever God brings across my way that day. Uh, Because we're pouring our life into other people every day, are we not? Is that true? Like, it may not be the salvation gospel message that you're presenting. It, it might be. That might be the opportunity you have. But every day you are pouring God's love and God's grace and God's truth into people's lives when you hear, have those conversations, whether that be with Christians or your family or friends or whoever. So you want to be prepared as you can be for those conversations. So pray. Can I... I can't stress this enough. It will make an incredible difference in your life. And not just tokenism prayer, okay? I'm not talking about, oh, you kind of forgot to do it and you got up late and you're in the car and you're kind of going, oh, God bless me today. Well, okay, that's, that's better than nothing. I'll give you that. But I'm talking about quality time where you, you come before God and spend some time receiving his spirit in your life. Knowing his peace, knowing his presence. And you, I don't know what God's going to have for me that day or have for you in the day that, that, that's ahead of you. But I know this, that as I've done that and as I see this early church getting God's heart to reach the world around them and as they prayed, I can see several things happen. Number one, God will fill you with his spirit. He wants to. He wants to fill you with his spirit. He will do this. I know also that he will align your heart with his heart. You'll start to see the world around you differently. You'll start to see the brokenness in in the world. As Leslie was just sharing before, it's such a great story. Thank you so much. Um, That, you know, you, you see these people that are searching And your heart will go out to them because you'll see what God is doing in in their lives. And he will guide you as to what to say and do. Uh, A church up in Auckland called The Street uh, put together uh, a short video that sort of encapsulates this well. So if we can um, play that now, that would be uh, fantastic. Have we got it? Here we go. Cool. I love getting outdoors and exploring away from distractions with time to think and time to pray. Today we're going to head up to the Radar Dome, which I think is a really great place to pray. Because when you pray, it's a little bit like putting someone on your spiritual radar. The Bible says that Elijah was a person just like us, an ordinary man who took on extraordinary influence because he prayed. My own story is one influenced by the prayers of other people. My life turned around like night and day in a short space of time. And I found out afterwards that my parents had been praying. 
More than that, Jenny, who would later become my wife, had been praying for a husband, that God would shape him to be the man ready to marry her. My life is dramatically different because ordinary people petitioned their extraordinary God in prayer. It makes me wonder how much we limit ourselves, where our expectation is that because we're only ordinary, God must want to use someone else. The Bible is full of people praying and in lots of different ways. Jesus went out early while it was still dark. Daniel prayed in his lunch break. Elijah went up on a mountain. Peter prayed on a rooftop. Jesus went out into solitary places while the early church gathered together to pray. Paul even prayed from prison because he knew that the walls of a cell were no barrier to his influence on the churches through prayer. As we think about the people we know who do not believe in Jesus, we realize that it will take more than our hard work to change their hearts. Only God can do that. And so we must be a people who prioritize prayer. Whether alone or together, whether at home or in the hills, we have to find moments where we bring the names of those we love before God, that He would do the extraordinary. So let me ask you a question. Who's on your prayer radar? Could I have the band back up now? It would be great. That's the question. Do you believe an extraordinary God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people like you and me? And when you know the answer to that question, because you do know the answer to that question, the next question is, are you preparing your heart in that place of prayer? And then in that place of prayer, are you lifting those before God around you? And what, what will that do? Well, it will change their heart. But actually, I think the most important thing is it prepares your heart to have the conversation with them. And I appreciate that there will be family members that you will hold for years on that prayer card or on that prayer list, as have I. And I'm still hoping and still praying that they'll come to faith. And I'm still praying for those opportunities. And next week we'll look at how you have some of those conversations. But this week, can I stress, make it your daily habit and practice to pray, to prepare yourself and to pray for those around you. It makes a difference. It's in prayer that an extraordinary God will do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.